0: Hey guys, thank you, choir. Jennifer, where did, did she just walk out? Jennifer, that was amazing. I'm seeing her through the door, wow! I love, I love that our um, privilege is uh, is to respond to the love of God, and just to be able to um, be a people who are uh, amazed by His love, and our life is a given as a response to His love that we're not conjuring that, we're responding to that. Is that not that's not just beautiful? And so um, I was listening to that just feeling like we should probably pray for a moment and ask the Lord to do what he is so gifted at doing. Um, and I'll quit talking about him and speak to him. Father, you are a great and glorious God, and we love you. God, you, um, you love us immensely. You love us as the crown of your creation. God, you have formed us for yourself. And God, you are... Um, you have made us new and you are renewing us at the same time and that's such a beautiful privilege and so father i pray that that as, um as your people as we sit uh, through this moment as we process your scripture as we um, respond to the love that you have for us that god it will be a response of uh, life change it will be a response of transformation it will be a response to your holy spirit and so um, god i just pray that before we engage in your scripture and thinking about you that our answer to you will already be um, yes. And God, I just pray that in the next few moments, as we, as we ask you to transform us into the image of your son, Jesus Christ, one more step in one more way, that your Holy Spirit will be free to speak among a people whose hearts are already turned toward you and who have said, we trust you, you, you are good, you love us, and our answer to you, whatever you come to us, Whatever moves in our heart, God, our answer to you is yes, Lord. We walk in the ways of your truth. For God, in walking in that truth, your name, your renown, it will be the desire and the passion of our soul. So um, here we are, Jesus. Just engage us with yourself for the next few minutes and transform our hearts. It's in your name I pray. Amen. Thank you. I'm just looking down, feeling like I'm going to crowd surf on these shoeboxes at some point. It's going to be pretty awesome for you today. And so, um, I like to stand on the edge. Have you noticed that? It's conflicting with my edge standing right now. And so, uh, listen, last week we started talking about um, just, just life change. And we're really just leading into Christmas. Um, I don't know that we're taking a break from Colossians. We're just kind of pausing and saying, let's rest in Colossians for a little while and come back to that And the 1st of January in our verse-by-verse venture through that book. Um, And here's what would have happened if we would have started that. We would have walked into the kind of the Christmas season, taken a break for a few weeks and re-engaged, and that would have been weird in the middle of a passage. So we're just pausing and getting extremely practical for a couple of weeks, and then beginning December 8th, uh, a series called Advent. Just what does it mean to worship and love and give ourselves away and to ultimately see Christ's name made known among the nations. That will be a four-week venture and so I'm just excited about that. But last week, um, I've had, just as always, when you are extraordinarily practical, I think people are extraordinarily thankful. I've had great comments just about last week. Um, we talked, if you missed last week, it's on a podcast or it's on the web. You can catch it. I won't re-preach the whole sermon. But um, basically, it was, it was first of all, a recognition as a people of God that if we're not in the Word of God, then we really have, have very little shot at transformation. I would almost go as far to say as we have no shot at transformation of our hearts being turned toward Christ. And so we just really talked about what would the word of God look like in our lives. And we, 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 we kind of took seven steps through a road trip, right? Like what, this was what it looked like if the word of God just really perpetuated our lives. I didn't say this sentence last week. I think it was in your notes. But I love this sentence in light of how do I respond to God and how does he renew my life? Um, vision without the ability to execute is hallucination. And so, or my, my favorite sentence in line with that one is, hope is not a strategy. We, we don't want to sit around and go, you know, I hope that we exist to lead people to transform living through Jesus Christ. I hope that my life is being transformed by Jesus Christ. I hope that um, I can walk among the people who, when pastor says, as he does all the time, look around and just consider what could happen in this room, that I look around and I see a lot of people wide-eyed. I mean, we can say we hope that, but vision without the ability to execute... It's hallucination. It's a great saying. It's not original with me. I I didn't come up with that. I just absolutely love that saying. And so we want to talk about some ways we will not be a hallucinating people for the next week or two. Just super practical. Um, Two verses come to mind um, that, as, as I want to share, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 is just an absolute favorite verse about how to be a people who are passionate for the Word of God and passionate for the things of God and uh, people who aren't hallucinating over that—that that our our lives are truly transformed. If you were here last week, we we I just kind of started teaching, had a cup of water sitting up here. It just kind of sat here, didn't make much about it. I just put put a tea bag in it, and at the end we just kind of talked about this. At the beginning, you can help me right now. At the beginning of the service last week, we had water on the stage, and it was pretty amazing. And as we walked through the service and dropped the tea bag in, it was no longer water; it became right it's pretty ridiculous that way how that happens when something incredibly new steps in and this was the fun part about that reality is that it wasn't just a different color all that was true about it it had a whole different makeup it had a whole new name it had a whole new taste it had a, it had a whole new chemistry about it i mean it was a completely different drink and when we are a people who are absorbed in and engaged in with God's word, I mean, we're, we're going to look and act and walk and breathe and live extraordinarily differently. I mean, we're, we're going to have a whole new taste. And ideally, this scripture would come to mind that people would taste our lives and see that God is so good. And and so last week was really just this isn't a hope. I mean, we don't want to hallucinate about this. We really want to execute this and be able to dive into God's word. And honestly, honestly, Many of us are sitting in this room, and the last time you picked up the Scripture was last Sunday to sit in this room. And, and I'm just honestly, we are utterly, utterly and, and deeply spiritually anemic and spiritually anorexic, if that is true of us. For us to be a people who are passionate for the Word of God, guess what? We have to be passionate for the Word of God. People who are just saying, Lord, I mean, here's what we have to know about ourselves, and this is the story of the day you have to know about yourself that it is not a natural bent to begin to think in a biblical worldview. It is not a natural thing to just kind of go, you know what, I'm just going to be transformed. I'm going to hang around Christians for a while, accept Jesus, and it's going to be great. That is not the progression. And in fact, it is the antithesis of that, that we will typically not think from a God-centered view. And so if that's true, and it is, then how do we get super practical again? And this is um, one of my favorite messages. Uh, I actually believe in October or November of last year, I asked these same three questions. And I told this same story because it's my favorite three practical questions about the faith. And so um, it was in context of a much broader sermon. I just want to narrow down to a single story. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says these words, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge Him. And then what happens? I think you're getting a cheat because I see people looking over my shoulder. I mean, literally, He directs your path. In other words, you probably won't walk on that path. I love that Hebrew word. Lean literally means to just put all of your energy or emphasis into something. It's that simple. It means lean in Hebrew means lean. I mean, that's, that's awesome. You get that deep, that depth. I mean, it literally means I'm going to lean into this. And he says, don't lean into the best that you have, but lean into the passion of what God has for you. Don't lean on your own understanding, but in every way acknowledge him. And as you acknowledge him, he will chart your path, he will direct you. I love Romans 12, too. That may pop up on the screen as well. And it says, do not be conformed any longer to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. And we talked about, this was the theme verse for last week, and it will be again this week and next week. And here's how you're transformed. You're going to renew your mind, and then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, His pleasing, His perfect will. I mean, I can really ask this, and do a show of hands, or so you can just think about it. So just think about it. Who in this room, as a follower of Jesus, would not like to be able to test God's good, pleasing, and perfect will? I mean, most of us in this room, if we are a follower of Jesus, are sitting around and going saying, you know, really, God, yes. We want to test your will. And more importantly, we want to walk in the middle of your will. And he says, okay, then you're going to probably naturally conform to the standards of this world. Just know that about yourself. So if we're going to break those patterns, guess how it's going to happen? You're going to think differently. And you're going to think differently when your passion is for the word. Otherwise, you're just going to blend. And you, you won't test anything other than the best this world has to offer, and it's extraordinarily painful. And so I just I love that just thought of going, God, what is it that we want to be about? And I want to tell a single story today, and I, you can even completely cheat right now and ask the three questions that are going to flow at the end of this story. They're in your note sheet on the back of the guide. They are powerful questions as, they, as it relates to a person who is saying, God, I don't want to conform any longer to the patterns of this world. But I want to be transformed. I want to renew my mind. I want to test and approve your will. That's what I really want to be about. I was sitting at Catalyst Conference about six years ago when I first heard some thoughts out of this passage. If you you want to look at this passage, it's found in 1 Samuel 24. It's a story about David. It's a story about Saul. And it's a profound story. And as soon as I get, if you were here a year ago, as soon as I get to one particular part of it, you're going to go, oh, yeah, I love that story there's an unforgettable part of this story just letting you know but i was sitting in a room hearing someone's story this in a, in a bit of a different way and i was just sitting, going, god this is life changing you have those moments when you're just sitting in whether it's a personal bible study or you're sitting in a group and you just know you know the spirit of god is like speaking in right then and saying if you will listen to this and you will heed this you will never be the same i was literally having that moment going god These these questions being asked, we will never be the same if we will wrestle with these things out for the rest of our days. The story really just kind of flows from Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 was written by Solomon. Solomon is the son of David. David is described as a man. I mean, I love that about David. If you didn't understand the gibberish around you, David is a man after God's own heart who doesn't want to hear that said about them. She is a woman who chases the heart of God, right? Is, he is a man who, when you're around him, he is after the heart of God. Solomon was raised by him. Not all the wisest decisions in the world made by the wisest man in the world. But he was wise enough to craft for us Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 and saying, don't lean on your own understanding. I watched my dad. I watched my dad run in the paths of God's commands over and over. And it was literally life-changing, I am sure that Solomon heard this story because this story was a story that would be told over and over. After, after David had a run-in with Goliath, he became a little bit famous. And they started writing songs about David. They started writing stories about David. And, and you'll know there's so many build-ups to this that I have to be so careful because I can get excited about how David was chosen as king even while there was a king there. And just how there was so little impression on the outward appearance you should hear that church. There was such little concern about what he looked like or what he wore. Just saying. And so, I mean, that there was, it was and then there's a great verse about that. Man tends to look at and engage based upon the outward appearance, but God is in love with the heart. And so they kind of raised up David as he was selected and they placed him in this this place of of, of, not yet royalty, but just he is coming into this kingship. They set him apart and then Saul is still reigning as king and Saul is losing his grits as he walks through the process. I mean, it's an insane process. And and you kind of pick up this story in a moment. After David um, slew Goliath, people started writing songs like, Saul, I, I should sing it for you. Saul kills thousands, but David... Look at you guys, you know the story. This should be really good today. David sleeps tens of thousands. It's powerful. People are singing about this. And all the while, ironically, this is what's profound. David is ministering to Saul. I mean, listen, he's already been set apart as king. God has already said Saul is not about this kingdom. His mind is not renewed. He's about his kingdom, and he's experiencing tremendous anxiety. And and in that middle of that, David comes in, breaks out his instrument, and he will pray for the peace of Saul. And he will play his instrument while Saul is in deep anguish. And I love this um, if you're a musician, Mitch, because I love this. What happens in the moment is that he is playing at one point. He is ministering to Saul. He is loving him. And Saul loses his mind. He picks up his spear and he throws it at him. And he doesn't just throw it at him once. But he throws it at him twice. How, how many in the room are either a singer or a musician? Just a little quick lift hand. Here's a a great truth for you, not necessarily biblical. It's one thing for them to pelt you with oranges or apples. But listen, if someone throws a javelin at you, it's time to put it down. It's not going well. The concert is really not coming off. And so um, David does just that. He puts it down and then he runs out and, and leaves and there's this incredible encounter with Jonathan. I mean, there's a lot of neat nuances in this story. But a little ragtag bunch of guys come out with David, and they begin a long journey, years journey, of cat and mouse with Saul. And Saul is dead set that he wants David killed along with all of his guys. And that's where 1 Samuel 24, that kind of sets you up for where we are about renewing minds and knowing what God's will is. And if we're a people in this room right now that are at all saying we want to know God's will, you should really engage for the next few minutes because, because I believe that this is life-changing. Because David ends up in this moment where he is hiding out. I, I love this. I want to read this. I just thought. Um, let me go back to the museum. The, museum, the musicians in the room. I thought, I thought this was the, the coolest name. I thought here, there's a band name in here. Because um, David, it says that David is on the, the desert of Engedi, which it says in verse 1 of chapter 24 of 1 Samuel. And David and his men, and I don't know why this is capitalized, I should have looked it up, are at the Crag of Wild Goats. That is a great band name. I mean, if you're thinking about a band, how cool is it? We are the Crag of Wild Goats, right? just that is totally free and it just fit in when I was reading this this morning I thought what a great band name you know and so David is in the desert of En Gedi. He is hiding out with his ragtag bunch. They've already been running from Saul for quite a while. Saul comes in from fighting with the Philistines on the other side of the story. And Saul rolls in with his men. They are utterly exhausted. And if you read the story, the men put, the thing, put, their, put their tools of weaponry down, their war tools down, and they are ready to rest. They are ready to be with their families. And Saul hears that David is in the desert of En Gedi. He is dead set on this. It It matters not how tired they are. And the scripture says that he and 3,000 of his men take off to chase David. And so they're going in to kill David. And he's going to do this regardless of the cost. And so he and the 3,000 men, they take off to go after David. And they are chasing him. And they are passionate about seeking him. And they're, they're wanting to take out his life. And I absolutely love this story because this story has such a great God humor moment in it. Because David is hiding in the desert of Engedi. It is a desert area. It has some lush greenery in it. They are probably growing there on things. And there's also quite a few caves in the desert of Engedi. And so there are places for them to hide. David hears that Saul is coming. David and his men go into the back of a cave. Saul rolls up into the desert of Engedi. And here is one of my favorite moments. If you heard this last year, you immediately know this story. And this is extraordinarily biblical, so just, just don't be offended. And he came to the desert of he said, and he, he, he disrobed himself. Saul rolls into the desert, and he looks at his guys and says, I think we should do some battle. But first, I have to go to the restroom. And so he rolls into a cave, and this is the greatest part. This is such a God moment. Don't you love our God and his humor? And also, if Rick Warren is right, and life is a test, life is a trust, and life is a temporary assignment, you are often put in moments of testing. And David and Saul are in a huge moment of testing. I would just put it this way. The scripture says that Saul goes in, and he is preparing to relieve himself. And I would just, put it, I would just say that is one of the most... What's the word? That's a good word. That is one of the most vulnerable places that you can be in. And listen to what happens in this moment. David's men are in the back of the cave and they're like, they're creating a ruckus. They're getting excited about this. Saul, I'm I'm not going to say picture this. Saul... It's too late, isn't it? Saul doing what he's doing. David in the back of the cave. The guy listen to this. listen to this. This is an emotionally charged moment. This is a powerful moment, and I want you to understand this. I want you to understand this and don't relate this to a First Samuel 24 story. Most decisions that you and I make are emotionally charged. They are not indifferent. They are not surrounded by indifference. Most decisions we make, whether it is what we're going to do through a weekend, who we're going to spend our time with, how we're going to engage the opposite sex, how we're going to approach biblical truths, they are not emotionally neutral environments. And you should hear this even more so that you can understand. Students, and I love this, we often want to say students deal so much with peer pressure. How about this? Students learn how not to deal with peer pressure by those of us who are older and who have no idea as well. Because what you have to understand, students and adults in this room, is that it wasn't just that David was saying, should I follow through and be about what God is about? He had a whole slew of his friends behind him saying, you should act completely antithetical to Scripture and you should do that anyway. Anyway. Lest you think, adults in this room, students in this room, that moments that call for us to clarion the cry of Jesus Christ, that they are emotionally neutral moments, this scripture tells us they are absolutely not. They are filled with pressure. They are filled with immense, immense challenge. And they are filled with a group of people who will desperately say, Jesus Christ, we care more about your word than we do about the emotion or the practicality of this circumstance. Has your word spoken of this? If it has, we have nothing else to do except act on your word. If you read 1 Samuel 24, 4, it gets pretty exciting. Not only are the guys sitting in the back, they're sitting in the back saying, David, look what God has dropped into the cave. I mean, they're, they're not just saying, this is, this is a great moment. I mean, you have to remember, this is kill or be killed. This isn't a, I'm going to drink or not on Friday night. I'm going to get hammered. Now, this isn't a little peer pressure where I'm going to disobey God. This is a moment is, if he doesn't take advantage of this, Saul could kill us in the next 10 minutes. So lest you think that your pressure in your situation is greater, here's what David is dealing with. All of his peers speaking into this, and life and death on the line. And they're looking at him saying, this is the day the Lord spoke, they say in verse 4. When he said, I'll give you the enemy. I mean, they're quoting scripture in this. I will give you the enemy into your hands. He is over there right now, and he is naked and vulnerable. And I love this moment because David then in that moment it says he begins to crawl to him. He unsheathes his knife. Can you picture what's going on in the back? They are like the brothers that were sitting with Jesus planning who's going to sit on the right side of David. They're sitting around going, who's going to wield power in the kingship? And David reaches him. He cuts off the bottom portion of his robe and crawls back in. And they are looking at him as if he were how could you blow this? How could you not fulfill this? How could you not live through this? And I love the way David answers them in verse six. He said to his men, look, look, here's what you have to know. The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing. The Lord's anointed or I lift my hand against him for he is anointed of the Lord. In other words, I appreciate the emotions of the moment. I appreciate that he's not walking in the will of God. I appreciate that you're not either. But here's where I'm going to stand. I'm going to stand in the middle of the fray and tell you that Scripture has spoken to this. Scripture has told me how to respond. And it's not the pressure of the moment. And it's not, as we were singing about and Jennifer was leading us in, it is not whether we might even physically die. More importantly is that we honor God and his precepts and his statutes right now, and his precepts have already spoken. And so here's just a really great thought for you. You can stop praying about things that God's word has already spoken to. David didn't have to engage in a prayer meeting, and neither do we. When the word of God has spoken, the only answer that we have as followers of Jesus is to obey. That's all we've got. And to do anything else is to disobey. And listen, I don't care how the 50 people around you are responding and neither does the Lord. And i really, honestly, if you really want to look at this, David is surrounded by church folk. And they're just sitting around going, you should do this, you should do this. He's looking at going, what part of the scripture did you not read in this moment? And they're just so flustered and they're so flummoxed. And, and I think we sit around and go, you know, I don't know. There's so many people around me. It would be, I would stand out. Look, look, if we're going to follow Jesus, we will stand out. If you currently are not standing out, here's a thought. You're not following Christ. And to be a Christian is to be a follower of Jesus. And so I would just take it another step and say, if you are not standing out, are you a follower of Jesus? I didn't get an amen on that one, but I, I don't understand this. I'm going to be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to follow Christ. He's going to turn me upside down. Here's how I read scripture about following Jesus He who comes to me will deny himself, he will die to himself, he will take up his cross, and here's what he'll do he will follow me. Regardless of what is going on with the crowd around him, he will follow me, though none go with him. I'll go. Happy Thanksgiving. This is where David is sitting and he says, this is the powerful, powerful moment. And I love what David says. He just kind of keeps speaking to his people. Um, David turns in verses 8 through 10 and he says, then David went out of the cave and he says, my Lord, the king, when Saul looked at him, David bowed down and he prostrated, prostrated himself with his face to the ground. And he's so humble before him. He says, why do you listen when men say David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord, he gave you into my hands. And it really wasn't about him giving you to me. It was about me knowing my Lord's voice. I added that in, by the way, if you're reading. He put me in a position to hear him and not follow through on the actions of all around me. Some urged me, in fact, he carries on to say it, to kill you, but I spared you. I said I will not lift my hand against my master he is the Lord. I've heard this scripture miss you so many times. I mean if you're anyway I won't go down there. I just this is this is about a particular moment in a particular beautiful context where David says this is the powerful reality of who God is and I will wait in patience for God to place me where he has already placed me. That's a weird sentence. So I'll say it again. I will wait in patience for God to place me where he has already placed me, but it will be by his hand. And I will wait patiently for him to do that rather than step outside the bounds of his scripture. For if I do that, it will no longer be God's placement. He's powerful. I think he looked at these guys and he carried on. And he just I'll, I'll maybe end with this verse and ask three questions. In verse 12, he's, he, he does look at Saul and he has a great word for him. And I think, I think he's saying, I am far more in kingship acting than you are. May the Lord judge between you and me. In other words, I have no problem taking this to, to the Father. May He judge between you and me and may He avenge the wrongs you have done to me. But my hand will not touch you. I mean, may God look down on this and He sees the faithfulness, but my hands will not act. God will take care of this in His due timing. And I, I refuse to break break the law of God. I, I love this sentence and I put this in your notes. You will never accomplish the will of God by violating the word of God. Ever. Unless you think that's not hap- happening, I love the three questions that will just kind of end this, this, this message today. The three questions that are on I mean, Listen, you will never accomplish the will of God in violation of the word of God. David fleshed this out. He fleshed it out in the midst of great intensity. He fleshed it out in the gr- midst of great personal inner turmoil. He fleshed it out with great pressure around him. And he looked and said, regardless of this, this is what the Word of God says, and I will not violate that. I will be about the kingdom of God. And I love this. Has the Word of God... Here's question number one. In fact, I didn't mean to jump to that. question. The three questions you have, you should start asking these based on every possible circumstance. First of all, has the Word of God already spoken on this matter? That would be a great question if we're going to say, Lord... Vision without the ability to execute is hallucination. Here's what I want to know as I begin to step forward in life, as I begin to evaluate circumstances and how I live them out. I'm just wondering, God, have you already spoken on this? Because here's what I know about the Word of God. It talks to so many things. It speaks into our relationships. It speaks into how we handle money. It speaks into how we go about walking as the church. It speaks to leadership in the body of Jesus Christ. I mean, it speaks into, I could stand up here for the next 45 minutes and go over what the Scripture speaks into. It speaks into how you handle debt. It speaks into how you handle your, your relationship. It speaks into a myriad of things, and it speaks into that. And look, I'm just wondering, are there circumstances in your life? Let's get off of David and Saul, a man relieving himself in a cave. And let's move into our own lives. Are there circumstances in your life that God has already spoken to that you have yet to act on or that you are acting in antithesis of? And the question of the day, if we're going to renew our mind and test and approve God's will, what are we going to do about that? I mean, I have so many people who have come up to me and said crazy things like, um, like, uh, you know what, I'm going to purchase this and indebt myself. I walked this journey when the economy first tanked. I walked this journey so many times. I am a Dave Ramsey fanatic. I I was one before, actually, preceding Dave was Larry Burkett. We launched our marriage with Larry. We love Larry. I should have a t-shirt. I love Larry, so you can ask me what that means. But then when we hit the economic recession, I have so many friends that had leveraged themselves so far that they they just blew up their life, and I could do one of two things as a pastor, preach great guilt and condemnation, or I could say, it's going to happen again because this is my third and I'm young. So let me just ask this question. What will you do differently for the next 10 years before it happens again so that you don't get blown up like you did this time? That's just... Has scripture already spoken as to how we handle these situations? I, it amazes me. Number of couples that rolled into my office through their 30s and 40s. I'm not happy. And I would go, I don't care. I it's. just... I love the conversations go like this. You have no idea how to flesh this out in this world. You don't know how to... You don't know the issues and the stressors we deal with. I don't. You're right. But look, I also see a guy named David who parks himself in a cave. And you can't possibly tell me that there could be a more stressful situation than what you're currently dealing with. That your peers may look at you and think a little wired-haired. That dude's a little crazy. He's a Jesus freak. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, wouldn't that be great? We're just, we can't stand out. You know, you don't know. How st- yeah, actually you should. I mean, has the scripture spoken to this? And the question then would be, what are we willing to do about that? I, I love the next question. The second question that comes out of this encounter with Saul and David is, What outcome did you expect, based on the actions that you were about? I think I wrote the question better than that. What outcome do you expect by building, what outcome am I anticipating as a result of this decision? Then I've got, like, tons of thoughts. I'm going to try to be a little more quick now. I just, has the scripture spoken, what outcome did you expect that's going on? I mean, seriously, I can't, I I could just give you example after example. What, What outcome did you expect when you leveraged yourself to that? What outcome did you expect when you built that social relationship on, so, on Facebook or Twitter? What outcome did you expect students when you started snapchatting and hiding that from people? What outcome did you expect? What outcome did you I love this question you know, I don't know how I got pregnant? What other outcome did you expect? I, I love that question because it, it cr- creates within us this, this concept I've got to think forward. It, it creates within us a David moment where I can't allow the urgency of this moment to define my action. Isn't that powerful? I, here, here's, what, here's, what, here's what I can tell you. You will lose every time, adults and students, you will lose every time if you wait to make your decision in the midst of utter crisis. You will make a poor decision. If you are not, let's go back to last week, if you're not renewing your mind in the Word, you are going to make decisions antithetical to Scripture over and over. How can you think differently if you're not thinking differently? And so we begin to say, okay, what outcome should I expect in this? Well, God, I want to create and foster outcomes where you gain great glory. I want to think long. That was one of our favorite authors. I don't really remember who wrote that sentence, but I want to think long. Like, I want a middle schooler to start asking this question. I want a middle schooler to say, what will it happen for me the way I approach the opposite sex when I stand before my mate? I want them to start thinking about that outcome. I, I want high schoolers to start thinking, how can I both look backward and look at a middle schooler and say, you can follow me because you'll see the outcomes of what it looks like to follow Jesus. I want us to stand and look and say, look, if I begin to project 10 years from now, it's going to shape the way I'm thinking. So God, I want outcomes that give you glory. I want outcomes that leave legacy. legacy. I I've I, I had the best morning this morning. I was standing in the atrium and had like four God-honoring conversations. They were so amazing. I was talking to some of our most senior of adults who would get here so early. Hello. Colonel Dan has them on time, you know? And so, I mean, I just stood and listened to story after story. I'm going to share two of them next Sunday of just life change. And I'm just sitting here thinking, look, they're painting for me. They didn't even realize this. They're painting for me what an 80-plus-year-old looks like that follows Jesus and cares about City Rescue. I mean, it was so powerful. And I just, I walked in this room so full of Jesus and so grateful for here. And I've got an outcome to look forward to. So what outcome are you expecting? Look, if you could look at this and say, how can I speak back to the last generation and say, if you'll follow me, these are some outcomes you should look at. And how can I look at the next 10 years and say, God, I really want the outcomes to be for your glory. I want your name and your renown. I want that to be the desire of our soul. Look, what outcome would we expect? If we are a prayerless, passionless, tradition-laden people, what would we expect versus a prayerful, we circle this place. We are on our face. We are passionate for the gospel. We will do everything to see Christ made manifest. What would happen among a church who are a fasting, praying, Bible passionate, in love with God, in love with people church? So I think it goes really well for the third question. So what story do you want to tell? Here's what I know about David. He just, I, I love this part. I don't think he envisioned himself sitting with his grandkids and saying, yeah, I killed Saul while he was going to the bathroom in a cave. I think David looked at this moment and said, there will be a story that will be told for generations. And this story is going to be powerful. And if you're in the room and you have ears to hear, you are living a story right now that will be told for generations. The question is, and this is a profound one, what story do you want to have told? Your actions of this day will define the story that you want to have told about you. Some of you are at, at you know, Creekside and Mandarin, Mandarin Middle, and I'm, I'm blanking on Carson School, Douglas Anderson, San Jose, Bartram. Now I wonder if, if for a moment you've thought Ten years from now, when the halls are being walked by a whole another generation, what story will they tell about me? Does it cross your mind at all? Because they're going to tell stories. Some pictures will hang on the wall. What story do you want to have told of your venture through Mandarin High, through Creekside High? And Mom and Dad, what story do we want to write deeply in the hearts of our children? What story do we want to have told throughout the city about Mandarin Baptist? Two thoughts that I would end with. Vision without the ability to execute is hallucination. And as a church, we will never, ever, ever fulfill the desire and passion for God in violation of the Word of God. If we will be a people who are deeply passionate regardless of the stress of the situation, if our lives will be bent and given for the fame of His name, then His glory and His story will be told. If not, it's a story that's not even worth telling. Let's pray. God, I just pray that this will be an outcome, passionate church. God, I pray that stories of transformation will flow out of this church. God, I pray that we will be a people who are deeply in love with your word. And Jesus, I pray that your word will so deeply saturate us that it will carry us into the highways and byways of this city for the sake of your fame. God, I pray that the nations will be glad and rejoice because you live among us. So God, I pray that we will...